The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Here we are, incredibly, in the month of June. Friday, June 5th. Anything and everything contact center, call center, customer care related. It's a pleasure to be back together with uh, my co-host, Paul. Paul, how are you, mate? I'm very well, my friend. I'm very well indeed. How about yourself? Uh, today, like both of you and I have already texted and messaged each other, today's a special day. We, I think we both feel some incredible energy about this particular show, about what's going on this Absolutely. week. Uh, Lord knows that uh, over here in this half of the world, um, uh, our society is going through some crazy things like that. But in our particular corner of the business world and operations, um, uh, customer care world, customer care industry, contact center, everything, we've got an incredible guest to help us break through all the clutter. It is an incredible pleasure to have as our guest. I'm going to introduce her as her Twitter handle first. I think many people know her. Is that Leslie O? Leslie O. Flahaven, are you out there with us? I am Ooh. here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to talk with both of you today. What a pleasure to have you. I keep saying the same thing. Um, I would also say Leslie O. Dot, 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 better than capital P, capital L, better than plain language. And if you are familiar with Leslie O.'s work, uh, she's a follower and adherent to something called plain language. I promise we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, we are going to have a, an open discussion today. It would be so easy to pick a certain specific topic and hone in on something super micro. Let's start a little bit macro today. Let's talk about something that I think will delve into um, all the wonderful things that Leslie O does. The topic of the day is going to be CX glue, customer experience glue. What is the glue that holds customer experience together? But before we get into that, Leslie, tell us about you. I know tons about you. I've been at trade shows, at events, at uh, networking things. I think we've co-presented a couple times together. I've observed you present. I've been in airports at early morning hours with you returning back from, from events and things like that. I get to know you incredibly, but there are some out there that may not know you quite as well. Tell us about you. Tell us what you do, what you founded, all the things that you're you're special for. Thanks, Neil. Of course, here we go. Here's the uh, quick version of the story of me. Uh, my company's called eWrite, e hyphen write. And then you can tell by the name, I founded it in 1996, back when e hyphen something was edgy. <laughs> so our mission is to help people learn to write well at work. And for about the last 20 years or so, we focused on helping frontline customer service agents write well at work because the last 15, 20 years have been the story of one change after another. All the channels except the newest, namely video, all the channels we've added in customer service have been written in the last 15 years. These folks started on the phone and then they added email and then they added chat and then they added social and then they added text and then they added ratings and reviews. All their work has been about adding written channels. So my company helps the people who lead frontline customer service agents to help them write better. And as you mentioned at the get-go, 
we're talking about the glue of customer experience and communication is the glue of customer experience. And sometimes, yes, that communication is face-to-face across a counter in a retail setting, but lots of times that uh, communication comes in the form of marketing and in the form of customer care and in the form of stored knowledge. So uh, I firmly believe good writers are made, not born. I've devoted my entire career to helping people sometimes are disempowered by lack of education and disempowered by lack of respect from management, helping them develop the writing skills they need to do well. I think this is a, uh, I'm getting like sweaty here, like it's a civil rights issue. That's probably going too far, but it's beyond employee empowerment. It's employee decision-making. So that's what I do. Roll up my sleeves and help frontline folks write better. This is sensational. Tell us your connection uh, to what previously was lynda.com and now LinkedIn Learning as well. Indeed. I'm an instructor for LinkedIn Learning. I have six writing courses available on LinkedIn Learning. And uh, the one that I published first in early 2018, Writing Customer Service Email, hundreds of thousands of people have done this course. I'm very proud of the trainings I've developed there and very uh, grateful to have LinkedIn Learning support to do great work. Sensational. So one of the things that I think uh, makes Leslie such a special guest, Paul, is that... um, while she's a specialist in writing, she touches so many other parts of customer experience and customer journey. And I promise we'll get into that. One of the amazing things that I, I, I describe uh, Leslie, if I were to think, you know, a couple words to describe Leslie on your podcast, what would they be? Well, I, I think, you know, the, 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 she's nice, she's fun, she's sweet, she's smart, like, of course, those things. But you know, one of the great things I love about her is that she's present. Right. She's present. She, I, I'd, I'd like to throw in another P. She knows, right? I'd like to throw another P in as well, if you don't mind, Neil, if that's all right. Throw it in. Passionate. Just within that two or three minutes there, you could feel it was tangible, the passion that Leslie has for all things that she does, and that you can't buy. So certainly that, there's another P that I'd like to throw in there. I love it. Passionate. But the other key word in what you just said is all. So let's talk about the all. The all, and going back to what I, what I just said, started on a, a minute ago, is she's so involved in touching multiple elements of the customer journey and customer experience. And that's where I thought of the, the topic of the CX glue would be so interesting because, as, mm-hmm. as we all know, there's so many different components, phases, steps, stages, whatever you want to call them, that make up customer experience. And Leslie, you've been a part of so many of those because I've listened to the stories and listened to the things that you've presented on and you told me about the work that you do. Could you tell us a little bit, for example, I I know you've done some things in the airline industry, you've done some things uh, in government, uh, as well as for some other really cool industries and businesses. Give us kind of just a little bit of color. What does a typical engagement look like? What do you teach? What do you train? What departments? What um, uh, job titles? you know, frontline, back office, management, et cetera. Just give us, give the audience, for those of us that don't know, a little color around what it is that you do at eWrite. 
Sure, I would be glad to. Um, lots of times, uh, some a company will say to me, um, we're really having a problem with customer satisfaction scores. Our customers are telling us that we're not answering their questions fully, or it takes too many contacts to get an answer when I have a problem or I have a question. And then the project will, the, the support I can provide, that whole project kind of unfolds. Sometimes, the reason that's happening is because the individual customer service agents lack writing skills. Sometimes it's because the knowledge base they draw upon to respond to customers is um, outdated or cluttered like a junk drawer. Sometimes it's because their training experiences are so rare that they just um, are, you know, parched for learning. And sometimes it's because the quality um, assurance processes, the QA scorecard is stamping out the very behaviors that would improve customer satisfaction. Um, so, uh, so I can touch on though all the needs that I just listed. Sometimes my company helps uh, companies clean up and rewrite their template library. Sometimes we train frontline customer service agents. Sometimes we offer um, consulting that improves the quality assurance process so we don't have uh, things like um, a person's uh, email gets a failing score because they misused a comma seven times. Is it worse if you misuse it seven than if you misuse it one? No. Uh, so, and sometimes we support customer service teams in using the company's brand voice, which involves a meeting, uh, the bending of the silos. So we, we're bringing in marketing or uh, social digital, uh, digital channels into the customer service world because of course marketing usually owns and defines brand voice. So I guess it's a point of pride with me, professional pride. I will tell a prospective client if I can't do something or if I don't think I'm the right person. But other than that, if it has to do with writing to customers, especially after they've made a purchase, I'm in. This is, this is sensational. So think about it. Uh, and, and this is why I really like this topic of the glue, because it's holding different elements of the customer experience together. So yes, you're, you're out there training um, uh, frontline people that interact with customers, how better to communicate. But all of a sudden you're injected into the back end part of it, fixing the QA scorecards, uh, giving guidance to uh, teams, how better to operate in the things that the customer does not necessarily see in the front, in the front side of the house. Uh, I, I love this. Talk to us a little bit more about brand voice. I think this is such a interesting topic that doesn't have enough or at least that I've seen, it doesn't have enough kind of documentation or content around it. Um, brand voice, like what the heck is brand voice? Why is it important? Who the hell cares? Like why is something like brand <laughs> voice so important in what we do? Brand voice is the way a company uses words to uh, maintain its personality in the marketplace. And it is one of the ways that customers fall in love with companies and, and bond with companies because of the brand voice. And all we have to do is look at the irreverence of uh, auto insurance brand voice in our marketplace. You know, why does Liberty Mutual have an emu? Well, because Geico had a gecko. You know, so when we, and, and they uh, 
use words in a particular fashion. But sadly, brand voice is usually defined in the marketing team. It's shared with the uh, agencies, the advertising agencies, but the customer care folks are usually left out of of the discussion about brand voice and they don't often have access to the tools that help, help them uh, sustain the brand voice. So that's part of why a company seems so fun and we want to buy their product and we want to wear their t-shirt, we wear their branded logo branded gear. But then when we have a problem, it sounds like a barrister with a white powdered wig is writing to us. And the disconnect is a big problem because it makes us distrust the advice we get from customer care when it doesn't sound like the company we fell in love with is communicating with us anymore. And it makes us uh, argumentative. So if you have a playful brand voice in your marketing, in your push social media messages, but if you have a stale bureaucratic and quarrelsome voice in your customer care communications, your customers are less compliant. I love it. Could could I ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here and you can push back and say, no, I can, then I'll be okay. But could you give us an example of a client? And if you don't, if you can't or don't want to name the brand, that's perfectly respectable. But an example of where you help to clean up the brand voice or something that you found where a real life example of where the marketing message was one, but the, uh, brand voice espoused by the frontline customer care team was another an example of how you clean that up and and maybe a you know it's a war story i think was it's always fun for the audience to hear. Yes, I, I have a good story with a little bit less war in it. It's a slightly different story <laughs> than the one you've asked for. I'm going to give you the example of TriMet, which is the mass transit agency in Portland, Oregon. And I wouldn't say um, I wouldn't say so much that I cleaned up the brand voice with them. It's just that they, in, in 2019, they experienced a period of incredibly rapid growth where they had been using um, phones, phone channel mostly. They had some email, but in 2019, they for customer care communication, they went from phone to email to social to text all in one year. And chat, I forgot yeah. chat. Okay, so they just went gangbusters in one year. And they, it wasn't so much um, that they had been without their brand voice in their customer care communications, but in that season of incredibly rapid growth, they also, they brought me in, we rewrote the, um, several, many of their templates, and they used that opportunity to um, uh, deploy the brand voice across all their communications. And I don't want to be caught out making it sound like they flipped a switch and everything went from stale to modern because TriMet's brand voice is very, very modern. It's not irreverent, but it's very modern. But they did, um, they did use that period of growth to also incorporate the brand voice. And they brought in the people from all the, the uh, marketing and digital communication teams to do uh, to participate devil's advocate here how can a mass transit system have a brand voice how can any cor every corporation has a brand voice if it has a logo it has an image and if it has a logo and a color palette it has an image and the words you use 
to communicate uh, your message are saturated in that image. If you're, if you're a, a, a conscientious company that does things on purpose, you know, you're, you're right, Neil, you, you don't sit there and, you know, rent an apartment in Paris and write with a quill pen and kind of craft a message that the train is late, right? <laughs> you don't do that. But remember, a lot of what TriMet was trying to do is get people to use its app to track bus times to to pay they they uh want people to pay for their tickets in the app and thus a lot of customer care communication was about problem solving with paying for tickets in the app and all of that communication can be written in a brand voice that's modern and aligned with the brand or in a stale bureaucratic legalistic tone if i'm guessing what paul's thinking about as I'm watching him on the camera and the, the, the shared screen that we have here. <laughs> and Paul, you can tell me I'm wrong here, but Paul's thinking Go to on. himself, oh my goodness, are we in my company utilizing <laughs> the brand voice that we should have? And then his second question is, oh, F, do we have a brand voice? Exactly. By the way, I'm thinking the same thing. I don't know, Paul, I, like, I'm, now I just put you on the spot. Uh, it, no, does that question occur to you? Yeah, 100%, straight away. And the first question that I had coming into my mind was, I, I need to go back and review the macros that we use, right? So we've got agents that send out macros. I, I now don't even know if macros is the right thing to do because I don't believe that's a correct reflection of our brand voice. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Leslie, even though it's a Friday, Leslie, you give me a lot of food for thought. I'm going to have to yeah. open a bottle of whiskey and, and crack on with this. There's a lot right. around. Right. Actually, what an interesting comment, because um, if you want to really be sure um, that your agents can write in the brand voice without them having to basically, you know, get a degree in communications, it's wonderful to have the macros written in the brand voice. Because, Neil, yeah. you're absolutely right. If, if, someone, if someone complains to a retailer that they received a shipment late and they want the shipping fees refunded. We don't want that agent to sit and stress about, should I say, of course we'd be glad to refund your shipping fee or sure, bro, we'll refund your shipping <laughs> fee. We don't want them wasting time like that. We want the macro or the template to include some branded language so that the agent can do the um, concrete task of explaining, yes, we'll refund the shipping fee and it will go back to the credit card you paid for this item with. But we, we, every, just like everyone has a culture, every company has a brand voice. You, it's impossible to be without one. And my, in, with the theme of CX Glue, the theme is that um, customer service communication should be written in the brand voice too. And you know, I've told you, I've got this whole power to the people thing going on. I'm standing on the desk right now with my hand up in the air in a placard, but you know, customer care teams are often second class citizens. They don't earn the same respect. They don't have the same clout in a corporation. And that's why it's even more important for them to be able to say to decision makers, to leaders, yeah, yeah, we know about marketing's brand voice and you know what we use it we know so you alluded to something when we first started uh the session today uh, around training and and i i don't know if you use this expression but it, in my my head this is what i was hearing i think you mentioned nature or nurture or i or i mentioned it to myself 
it sounds like between nature and nurture, you believe in nurture, meaning that one can be trained. You can educate, train, polish, really teach someone. It doesn't matter that they are not, for example, they weren't born a natural writer, that they, that they uh, you know, failed English in 11th grade, you know, coming in at a high school. These skills can be taught. You're a firm believer of that. I am. I will not fall on my sword and claim that every person, every single person can be helped to be a competent writer at work, but most people can. more people who will really struggle to become good writers. So if you have a team of 10 and they were hired for phone skills and they're excellent on the phone, I don't know if more than seven of them can be competent customer service writers because the skills that, that enable great phone service and the skills that enable great written service, especially asynchronous such as email, are not the same. And, and I, uh, I don't want to insist that all of those people can, but I do deeply, fundamentally believe that people can learn and grow. And aside from illness or brain injury, I'm not being funny, people can develop their writing skills in adulthood, even if they have been inadequate or poor writers earlier in life. There's still hope for some of us. That, that, that's great to hear. Uh, tell us something, because you're... Uh, in the trenches with so many different types of companies and, and especially on the front lines. The email channel, is it dead? Is it dying? Does it have life? What do you see? <laughs> well, it, it's really strange, isn't it? I mean, email gets almost no respect. No one uh, loves email, but it's not quite dead. And I don't think it's dying. Maybe it should die, but it isn't dead yet. And I don't think it's dying. Um, I think that uh, for managing contact volume, email has some great advantages. And for that reason, I don't think it's dying or dead. However, bad email needs to die this afternoon. You know, we don't <laughs> have to do a bad job at email. It's not inherent in the channel. It's not baked in that people have to wait, you know, four business days to get a response. If we would staff the email channel properly, for I always think of the example of, of well-run, really competent internal IT teams, internal support desks. When you ask those people, what's the wait time for a customer to get a response from you via email? They give you a blank look because there's no wait time. They get the email, they answer it. You know, it is not impossible for, you know, um, for retailers or for consumer packaged goods companies, whatever. It's not impossible for them to properly staff the email channel so the quality gets better. Got it. Uh, what are you seeing with live chat? Is live chat taking volume away from email? Is live chat being offered by more and more companies? Is, is and then the, 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 the second part of that question is, is teaching... Uh, live chat writing different, more challenging, or, or kind of like how does it differ from email writing? Email writing is probably a little bit more stiff or stiffer, if that's the right word. Uh, is that a fair accusation, a fair assessment of it? And, and I know I just asked you like 35 questions in, in one, but uh, just some comments, <laughs> I guess, on, on live chat. 
Okay, I'll I'll say yes. Live chat is carrying some of uh, a good amount of the volume from uh, email as well. It should. Live chat is a, a wonderful, wonderful written channel, and it's a beautiful hybrid of phone skills and email skills. Um, you know, here's my this here's the title for the country song I will never write. Phone and email had a baby, and they called it chat. Because it's not that chat is less stiff than email, it's that it's less planned than email. It's, it's um, in the moment. So it, it, we, don't tolerate, um, we don't tolerate poor writing in chat, but we do expect and allow for corrections, for example, in chat. I'm sorry, I meant to say such and such, or I'm sorry, can you clarify? So I think, the, I think chat could improve customer satisfaction and customer experience in so many ways. But the only downside I see is the way management um, launches and deploys chat. And regularly, we have agents doing too many consecutive chats regularly because they, you know, folks listen to what the vendor says and they say, okay, you can do six and that's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, you can do four. That's also absolutely ridiculous. So the quality is lower than it should be, but not because the agent's doing a poor job because we, we bought the message from the vendor. And the other thing I see that is so stinking strange is that when companies, when the chat volume's too high, I've seen companies turn it off. Turn it off, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that is absolutely the strangest, most customer-hating thing I can imagine. You don't turn your phone off when the queue gets long, but we'll just turn it off. No, that's not a thing. Don't turn the chat off. Staff the chat better. Figure out how to make the wait time shorter. I love this. Uh, I have two more questions about chat. Uh, and, and Paul, certainly chime in here because you, know, you, you have some experience running chat teams. Um, I think of the chat teams, the, 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 sorry, the team members tend, to, I think, to be younger. Uh, I think of them sometimes maybe partially in our own context in our operation, but but just because they, we have a stereotype that they're younger, they're the ones that uh, have green hair, they're, they've got piercings and <laughs> tattoos and stuff like that. Uh, what is it like, well, so first of all, is there any truth to that? And what is it like training that demographic? And I know I'm generalizing and maybe this isn't the time, uh, especially what's going on these days to generalize, but if one could even generalize that, that segment of the context and the population, what's it like working with a group that skews younger and May, may not have really even learned writing at all in their, in their education, their formal education. Okay, now you're, you're freestyling on your embroidery, on your Rococo, that you just went off the rails there. First of all, I'm not here for any sweeping generalizations about age. You know, it, I, can't, yeah. I can't hold that thought and the other thought, which is, as I've said, writing, customer service writing is a skill that can be learned. So I can't hold both those thoughts. Um, I do believe that people need a couple of skills or one skill, one mindset, and they can have it at any age, but they must have it to chat. One is they need good keyboarding skills. You can be a slow keyboarder on email and survive, but you can't on chat. You have to be a fast keyboarder. And secondly, you have to be able to do this really difficult thing that I don't think anyone teaches except maybe life itself teaches, and that is 
hold hold the through line of the conversation even when the conversation isn't going in a linear fashion that is really hard to do and chat isn't linear even though we're both engaged in a linear way the the agent and the customer chat itself isn't linear so um to to um untease you a little bit neil about your sweeping generalization about age sure people who are younger have more experience with long conversations that are nonlinear because they text each other more. But, but outside of that, I don't think that chat needs to skew to, that, to the uh, demographic you described at all. And I think that um, the, the uh, patients, the expertise on the topic, the um, expertise, the knowledge of human nature that a person with longer tenure in the industry might have is very valuable in chat. Because when chat is poor quality, it's because the agent isn't really listening, isn't really engaging. You know, the agent is pushing answers without really focusing on the questions. And someone with experience on phone and email who can keyboard quickly will be great at chat right away great how, well how could they be putting out good quality chats if they're doing a ratio of seven to one or eight to one or twelve to one which is you know literally those things exist we've we we, exactly. we at the beginning of launching chat we thought yeah of course eight to one oh, we're, no. gonna, we're gonna get maximum efficiency right everything is all about efficiency <laughs> eight to one good luck with that one you know how that one right. went? <laughs> we almost had the chat channel shut down because the initial work was so poor but yeah you're absolutely right i love that you called that one out um Paul, I have a, a final question that I think uh, is super relevant and we talk about writing and I've seen Leslie um, uh, put some content out about this. Everyone's talking about okay. automation and more, more specifically chat bots. I know you do some chat bots uh, in, in your operation as, as well do we. Um, I assume Leslie, correct me if I'm wrong, that the theory and things you're talking about is the same. If you, it doesn't matter whether it's a human that's writing it or a bot, the bot better be responding in brand voice. But more yeah. importantly, what do you, how do you handle if the bot doesn't understand and the bot doesn't really have much of a brain to think? What do you do? What are you seeing out there? Well, you know, let me grab a tissue here while I weep because I, I, <laughs> I'm not against bots in any way. And I think that myself as a customer, I have had many bot assisted uh, interactions that were wonderful and I didn't even know. So I'm not as against bots in any way, but I am uh, deeply against the idea that a customer has to endure a frustrating bot experience to then get to a human agent. That is, again, you know, one, again, it's not a given with bot-assisted communication that, they, that the customer has to interact with the bot first and then when the customer is like, damn, that's not helping me. Okay, now you get a human. That is not a given. It does not have to work that way. In fact, it could work the opposite way. You start interacting with the human and the human hands off to a bot. That could, that, that is uh, technologically possible. So I, I just want to object against the fundamental that, that the bot is like, the company knows that the bot is kind of sort of helpful and that they think so little of the customer's time that they want the customer to say, no, that wasn't it. No, that's not it. No, I'd like a human. That's just wrong. 
and brand voice won't help there. That's a terrible customer experience. And the, the content can be written in the perfect brand voice, but we're still having a bad experience. Leslie, oh, you have described the glue or glues that keep the customer experience together. I think uh, in an ideal world, we would have three days to do, continue on and approach all the topics of the world. Uh, this has been sensational. Uh, we want to kind of wrap today's session up. We want to hear your CX heroes. This one's important. I want to know who is a hero for you. And if you could, maybe just a quick, super fast description, a little bit about why. Why are those heroes? Because you, you get into this. These things are important to you. You are passionate, uh, as Paul certainly pointed out. Tell us about your CX heroes of the week or the period. Who's top of mind for you? I am so glad you're asking me this. Thank you so much. My CX heroes are uh, people, uh, decision makers who believe what I believe, and that is things can be better. Frontline customer service agents can, can write better, they can be helped to grow, and they can give customers a much better experience. So that whole theme, it, you're a hero to me if you believe things can be better, not we have to accept them as they are. And because you've been so gracious, I'd like to call out no fewer than 10 of my <laughs> recent customers to compliment them uh, for their, at, their attitude they share. Things can be better. So I'm going to call them out clearly, but I want to do it quickly. Call them out. Be in, I don't know what the adjective of, of I think you said that I was embroidering. Um, <laughs> was the, was, I forget the other adjective you mm -hmm. said. Uh, uh, it wasn't Baroque. It was uh, Rococo. Rococo, maybe. Yeah. Rococo, thank you. Uh, be Rococo-esque. Uh, have at it. This is your time. Make, make, make all these people shine. I, love it. I, I, love I it. certainly will. First, I'll call out Deborah Riley at McCormick Spices. She has a uh, blended team of agents who write in all channels, and she's doing a great job as their leader. I'd like to call out Colleen uh, Miller at Bayer. Um, a pharmaceutical company is going to be one of the world's most cautious companies, and she has brought about true change in that company. I'd like to call call out Celine Dumay at L'Oreal, whose uh, team does a wonderful job of responding to ratings and reviews in a practical and informative way. Call out Matt Sanders at Caterpillar, who, whose team oversees the communication of, uh, I think, 140 social media handles that are at, at the dealer level that are giving uh, advice to customers. That's monstrous. <laughs> um, I'd like to call out Christine Donovan, uh, head of customer relations at Cathay Pacific Airways, which is based in Hong Kong. And um, it's been a turbulent year in the airlines, and she's a fabulous leader. I mentioned TriMet earlier, and this is a shout out for John Bell, the fearless leader who added all those channels and all those people in one year. I'd like to call out Barbara Moulton, who is the director of customer care at another mass transit agency, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Association goes by Metro, a fearless leader who has had her hands full, especially in the last week. Ryan Helms is the director of customer care for an organization called, a software developer called uh, Planning Center, and he's a gifted, gifted leader of a remote workforce. Becky Levy at the public radio station WGBH, 
has taken her team from a, a member of uh, from WGBH staff to an in-house uh, customer care organization that serves other public radio stations. And finally, Cheryl Masick at Wakefern. Wakefern is the parent company of ShopRite grocery stores. And if you don't think the grocery stores have had it going on this year, Cheryl and her team have been wonderful at taking change in stride. Thank you, Paul and Neil, for letting me do that. I know that was long. <laughs> <laughs> that was sensational. What a great list of CX heroes. I know some of those people. I've interacted recently with some of the others. Uh, I certainly see a thread that uh, many of them happen to be SOCAP members. It's okay to mention SOCAP on there. Uh, so it's, it's wonderful to see uh, their company shine and, and, and get some well-deserved spotlight. Uh, I do remember Becky Levy, by the way. Becky uh, was a was a very common ICMI chat participant during a period of time, if I remember correctly, right? She is. She was, and we hope she'll come back. And she's a great leader, that Becky. Yeah, great, great set of people. Uh, this has been a sensational episode, Leslie. You have to come back. That is not Absolutely. a that is not a a request or question with a question mark punctuation. That is a command. <laughs> I'm not sure what it's the command. You must come back. <laughs> this was amazing having your your feedback we're gonna have to pick some vastly different topics because i think anything that we ask leslie she's going to be able to offer some experience and guidance on this was this <laughs> absolutely was just well thank leslie, you for thank letting you. me friend of fireside chats and it's been just the best thanks so much as we you, try leslie. to wrap this up we always like to ask those that are listening our audience comment right into us tweet us Tag us, link in us, message us, whatever it is. Find a way to reach out to us. We love your feedback. We want to hear about different topics. We want to hear about guests. Disagree with us. We'd love to have you disagree with us. I love being called out. Nothing better than being called out by Leslie. By the way, I have nothing to respond. I just got to take it because she's right. Um, <laughs> so it's sensational. Paul, are we ready to wrap this one up? I'm... I'm in a state of shock. It's been an absolutely fantastic podcast. Leslie, you've been a wonderful guest. Neil, a superb host, co-host. Thank you very much. Um, guys, thank you very, very much for listening. Neil, we're nearly at 750 downloads. Can you believe it? I'm, I'm just, just in awe of everybody's help and support. And that may be the new hashtag friend of Fireside Chat. I like that. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> Absolutely. Fireside chats without the fires. Friday, May 5th, uh, not May 5th, June 5th. Oh my goodness, we're in June. It's hard to, hard to get used to that. Friday, June 5th. This was a sensational session. Leslie, thank you, Paul. Thank you. We will tune in thank next you, week, everyone. Thanks for participating. Thank you, dear friends. Thank you, Leslie. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.